This message comes from NPR sponsor Hulu. Don't miss the new docuseries Black Twitter, A People's History. From memes to movements, see how this powerful online community shapes culture and society. Black Twitter, A People's History premieres May 9th, streaming on Hulu. In Ant-Man and the Wasp, colon, Quantumania, Paul Rudd and Evangeline Lilly return as Marvel's tiniest titans. With their extended family in tow, they get shrunk down into a subatomic universe called the Quantum Realm. They stick around to help its inhabitants stand up against Jonathan Major's Kang the Conqueror. He's a time-traveling villain whom we've seen before, kind of, sort of, long story, and we will be seeing a lot more of as the Marvel Cinematic Universe enters its next phase. I'm Glenn Weldon, and today we're talking about Ant-Man and the Wasp, colon, Quantumania on Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR. Joining me today is NPR producer Mallory Yu. Hey, Mallory. Hey, Glenn. Glad to be back. Glad to have you. Also with us is iHeartRadio producer and host Joelle Monique. Welcome back, Joelle. Hi, Glenn. What's up? Not much. Thanks for being here. And rounding out the panel is Daisy Rosario, senior supervising producer of audio at Slate, where she just relaunched Dear Prudence, Slate's advice podcast. Hey, Daisy. Hey, Glenn. Happy to be here. Happy to have you once more unto the quantum realm. Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania completes a trilogy of Ant-Man films directed by Peyton Reed that have starred Paul Rudd as Scott Lang, Evangeline Lilly as Hope Van Dyne, and Michael Douglas as inventor Hank Pym. Michelle Pfeiffer joined the family in the second film as Hank's wife, Janet, rejoined it technically as she spent 30 years trapped in the quantum realm before being rescued. But the quantum realm isn't done with the Ant family when Scott's teenage daughter Cassie, played here by Catherine Newton, sends a signal down to the quantum realm, the whole gang gets shrunken into the sunless, surreal subatomic universe where Kang the Conqueror has nefarious plans for them. I've never said quantum realm so often in so short a time. They run into new and familiar faces and band together to try to save this tiny world, even as the many secrets that Michelle Pfeiffer's character has been keeping from her family come to light. Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania is in theaters now. Mallory, let's start with you. What'd you think? I had fun. I have become fairly detached from the MCU in general. So I sort of jumped back into this um, a little cold. Mm -hmm. At the same time, I do really like a good comic-y romp. And this gave me a good comic-y romp. It's fun to look at. Michael Douglas is having so much fun that I can't help but have fun along with him. And, you know, the kid who was obsessed with Michelle Pfeiffer's Catwoman was also having a lot of fun. I liked watching Jonathan Majors chew the scenery. My biggest critique, I guess, is that um, I felt like some of those secrets that she was keeping were a little unnecessary and just there to have a mystery at the beginning. Mm-hmm. And I did get lost in some of the action sequences. I felt like they were a little muddy and hard to follow. And that was kind of annoying. Um, but overall, I had fun. And that's what I was hoping for. Cool. And I think you've answered one of the, our, our audience's biggest questions is like, if I'm not all up on every wiki of the MCU and haven't watched everything, can I jump into this movie? And I think you can. I think you can, yeah. All right, great. What about you, Joelle? What'd you think? I agree with Mallory. This is a super fun movie. I laughed 
a lot, a lot more than I think I usually do in a Marvel movie. I thought intros and outros were spectacular. Loved the beginning, loved the end. Mm. And it's becoming a Marvel issue. It was hard because I liked this movie. I think it fits into the Marvel canon of films pretty well. But man, if we don't get some real consequences soon, why am I showing up to these movies? Uh, I need battle scars, ones that last and can't be unmiracled away. Some trauma. Yes, real, real legitimate trauma. Because it's the only thing that can break up the awe. Like, they get awe really well. The alien world building in this movie is really good. Jonathan Major's performance is so much fun and compelling. You're like, where is this villain going? Like, who is this person? He feels really fleshed out. Um, He's had a lot of time to think about, you know, how to play each version of Kang. I really liked what he was doing, you know. And then Paul Rudd is Paul Rudd. He's so charming. But man, yeah, Marvel's got to figure out how to remain family friendly and also actually hurt their characters. Yeah, interesting. You know, a lot of people talk about third act problems with these movies, but you like the beginning, you like the end. You had a second act problem with this movie. That's new. I like that. I like that. All right, Daisy, bring it home. What'd you think? Well, I mean, I'm I'm glad you brought up the whole Marvel usually has third act problems because I found myself fairly early on in this movie hoping that it would get better as it went. And I was like, uh oh, wait a minute. This is a bad thought. Like if I'm hoping for a Marvel movie to stick it in the third act, that's a problem. <laughs> no, I mean, I didn't really enjoy this. I was actually thinking it might be the first time I like truly didn't enjoy a Marvel movie. Wow. I've been lukewarm on others, but even then there were like thematic elements or just like little things or choices that stuck with me in some way. Whereas in this, I would say it's kind of like the things that Mallory and Joel have already highlighted that kept me from hating it. Like Michael Douglas is having a great time and I enjoyed that great time. <laughs> I love Michelle Pfeiffer. I was bummed that there was a huge run of time where we just didn't have Michelle Pfeiffer as a Hollywood star. Mm -hmm. And so I really enjoy her being there. I love Jonathan Majors. I think he's a great actor. I feel like all of them kind of kept me from really hating it. Oh, and then Paul Rudd. I mean, how many times have I watched the Paul Rudd hot ones? So many times. (laughs) Like Paul Rudd is that kind of person. But for me, it just wasn't really fun. And I know that for me, a lot of that comes down to visually, I found it really hard to look at for a while. Like, you know, we already know that there's a lot of demand on CG artists in this industry right now. A lot of that coming from the sheer amount of Marvel content that exists right now. And I feel like it's been noticeable, not just in their movies, but across the industry. I will say without getting, you know, too much into plot, there's like the movie is like 97% in CGI settings, right? Like that might not sound crazy for a Marvel movie, but think about about that in terms of, I also mean like it doesn't seem like there were practical things around them even as set pieces. Uh-huh. Visually, I, like I just kept finding myself thinking about like the Star Wars prequels. Sure, There's also a lot of production design that feels very like, yes, Disney does also own Star Wars and we're going to remind you uh-huh. of Tatooine. And I was like, "This, you actually don't yep. want me thinking of Tatooine right now, but okay. Uh, <laughs> so I didn't love it as much. I think when it comes down to it, there's always been complaints about Marvel's villains over the years. I think what they've done right is build on character and relationships. And character and relationships felt very weak here. Like the connections felt like they were being yeah. kind of told and not shown. And uh-huh. I think that to me is like the biggest part of why this didn't work for me. Well, this is a range of reactions, a healthy range of reactions. I love to see it. Here's my reaction. You know what? Sure. (laughs) That's my entire review. You know what? This is what we're doing now. 
And I can't complain about it. I don't feel like I can because as a kid, this is exactly what I wished for. Me and a lot of other nerds, we did this. Yeah. It's on us. We knew we'd get Batman, Superman, Spider-Man movies. We wished for more. And now, folks, we are three deep into an Ant-Man movie <laughs> franchise. Think about that. It's got Kang the Conqueror and his goofy-ass costume. It's got over here, it's got Modoc. Silly-ass characters taken seriously or, or semi-seriously. I kept thinking watching this movie, which goes out of its way to remind you how far removed it is from the rest of the MCU. You talk about lack of consequences. This is happening in the microscopic Whoville of the, of the MCU. It's a total sunless Color from Outer Space production design. Stakes could not be lower. And maybe at this stage of the game, it's healthy for us all to move the goalpost and say, okay, we're going to abandon any expectation that these films are ever going to resemble film cinema the way we think of film and cinema, which is made by a handful of actors who at some point were on the same soundstage together. And I'm not just talking about the effects. The appearance by Bill Murray in this film, which is in the trailers, mm. he is sitting down at a table with the other characters and... Maybe when the behind the scenes comes out, we'll see that they actually filmed that scene together. It didn't feel like it. It didn't look like it. It does not mm -mm. feel like it. Yeah. And mm -mm. I'm looking at Murray Douglas Pfeiffer. These guys have been around since the 70s. They could have made a film together at any time. What would it have been like? Well, now we know, except we don't really. <laughs> it doesn't feel like they were in this movie together, right? A hundred percent. Marvel really likes to bring me some great actors and then be like, you saw them. Was that enough? Is that what you wanted? It really feels like... <laughs> Chidi from The Good Place is here in this space, and he can read minds, oh my God, yeah. and the design of the character is really cool, and he's acting. Mm -hmm. Who is that person? Why was he here? What was? What are the consequences of everything mm -hmm. that happened in this movie on his life, on this individual who mm -hmm. you take a lot of time to introduce and show us stakes of, and then we don't get these like well-rounded characters, which is something we know Marvel has the capacity to do. Yeah, It's very confusing. Here's what's mostly irritating to me about this film. If the first two Ant-Men are about a dad trying to make his way back into his daughter's life in a significant way, mm -hmm. this film should have been about a daughter trying to understand her adult father. Right. Sure. Which it was not. No. And they hint at that, but they don't yeah. pursue it. No, they don't engage in, in what that means to be a daddy's girl yeah. who's then lost a lot of time with him, who idolizes him to the point that she's trying to replicate every aspect of his life in her own life. But she's a person, so she's not going to be the same. They never show like, oh, but I would do it this way, Dad. Yeah. She has her own suit in this movie. It's not distinctly hers. Mm -hmm. There's no style element of it that's like, oh, yeah. that's Cassie in her suit. And she designed this. And she's a scientist now. And she's really trying to build on what her – she's just there mimicking every move of her father. And it's like you have a cool character and she's a central focus of this movie. Why was she not built out? Like it could have made sense if they had – managed to develop her character a little more, but I feel like she very much started and ended the movie in the same place, emotionally with her dad. Mm -hmm. The movie is fun if I take it on like, I'm just going to sit here in the theater and kind of go along for the ride for two hours. But if I start thinking about like, okay, Scott, you were trapped in the quantum realm during the blip. Do you have the world's best therapist that you've already unpacked all of this? And, you know, for being a character who's very much about his relationship with his daughter is like the central aspect of his character, I felt very much like that was 
elided over in this one, like his relationship with her and his missing five years of her life. Are we not going to get a conversation, a heartfelt conversation between them about this? Just some, you weren't there quips. Like Mm -hmm. my biggest issue going back to, you know, you have some really great characters and character design in the quantum people, and we don't get anything about them. Like, I wanted to spend a little more time with them and getting to know them. And I know that this movie is about the Ant-Man family, the Ant family, but give me a little more. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to talk about the optics of it. Like, you have a very white family, and you've developed their characters, and then you've sort of slotted in a lot of these people of color in the quantum realm, and we don't know anything else about them aside from one can fight and one can read minds. And that's about it. Yeah, there were so many things in this movie that made me think about gentrification. And I was like, this is not what you want me to be thinking about thematically right now, Marvel. This is not it. You do not want me to be thinking about gentrification and the fact that like you've made this look like Galaxy's Edge. That's the thing. I feel like I am somebody who is kind of already resigned to myself in like a way that I'm good with as long as there's a variety of these movies. Like I don't care if, you know, some are more for kids than others. I prefer that actually, you know, like I like the idea of their mix and kind of some of the stuff that they had established early on, you know, things like remember when Captain America Winter Soldier came out and it was like, ooh, they're playing across genre, right? Like they're playing with these different things. This movie wasn't doing any Mm -hmm. of those things. Like it just wasn't It wasn't doing anything but like getting this next, you know, phase started. And Joelle, what you said about like those first two Ant-Man movies are about like a father getting back to their daughter. And then the first one, especially, it's not just Ant-Man is doing that. It's also that Michael Douglas's character is doing that with Evangeline Lilly's character. So you have this kind of Mm -hmm. lovely um, mirroring going on that really works thematically. And that's I feel like those are the things like even when it's not a great movie, if you follow your themes and you play them out with some level of care, I'll still connect with it on some level. And I think for me, this all felt like they were relying on a lot of goodwill that they earned by going slow in various other spots. And then we're just throwing a lot of stuff out there. They did give us some characters to try to care about in the quantum realm because, you know, up to this point, for the most part, what we know of the quantum realm is just being constantly told it's like nothing could live down there except for Michelle Pfeiffer who lived 30 years but nothing could survive and so it's like confusing and then you're like this whole world Uh that you wanted us to accept in terms of building that world and establishing what that world is and how it came to be and like how these characters exist they didn't do any of that it just kind of they hinted at these themes and then went here's a bunch of plot hope you like it yep well here's a theory that touches on some of what all of you have been saying, and I want you to shoot it down because I don't want to be right, which is a very unusual (laughs) position for me to find myself in. Intrigue. What if the snobs have it right? What if all those jerks that I've been fighting all my adult and professional life who look down their noses at these movies and cluck their tongues and stroke their beards and dismiss these movies as cartoons, what if they're right in this sense? And that's the real answer here. Here's my evidence. These are some really flat characters, as you all have mentioned. Now, Paul Rudd in the first two Ant-Man films, we didn't maybe notice it because of the Paul Ruddiness of him, and he kind of fills out the character of Scott Lang. But in this film, at least, Scott Lang is, I love my daughter Cassie. Where's Cassie? What have you done with Cassie? That is his entire personality. That's his entire character. Michael Douglas's Hank Pym, I like ants. <laughs> Lily's Hope, um, 
I couldn't tell you. Don't know what she wants. What are her hopes and dreams? Michelle Pfeiffer's Janet, I have secrets. Catherine Newton's Cassie, I'm every teen who's <laughs> ever been in anything. And though Kang, I mean, I got to push back on you, Joelle. Like, I, I, Kang gets a lot of time to tell you what he's about. Mm-hmm. I don't really know what he's about. But what if he accept that? That these are just cartoons, and they've always been cartoons. And maybe that explains why at so many points in this movie, when the actors are running and jumping and nearly falling off ledges, my brain does not accept that those ledges exist. They just seem cartoonish. Am I, am I right? Am I wrong? Please tell me I'm wrong. I think you're wrong. Good. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense to me because at one point, Cassie gets a bridge blown out right in front of her and she has to like stop and almost falls. That's the scene I'm thinking of. I should be feeling something there. I never felt like she was going to fall. And I'm a person who is like terrified of heights. So if that scene doesn't evoke any sort of tension in me, you've sort of failed. And to your point, like 90% of this movie is CGI, right? And and it sort of helps to think about it that way because with cartoons, it's like, okay, of course your motivation is going to be this thin. You know, we've only got 30 minutes to go through this story. Maybe it would just help to think of Marvel like that. Something fun and diverting for a couple of hours rather than maybe something that'll give me themes to chew on. I'll go to fan fiction for that. (laughs) I mean, I just never think that the snobs are right. Like, so there's that, Glenn. Uh, (laughs) Me neither, but I mean. No, I mean, I think like I was watching this movie and there were just so many like kind of immediate thoughts to me of like ways that it absolutely could have worked towards the goals that they were clearly pursuing. You know, Mm -hmm. I don't think that it is something inherent in this kind of story, whether it's a superhero story or stories for children, stories that are animated. Um, I don't think any of that is like the core of it. It just seemed like a lack of effort. Sure. You know, I don't know if it's just like the fact that they've started with Ant-Man from a point of like, this has to fit a space that then moves things forward, but it doesn't feel like they've ever invested much in the storytelling in the Ant-Man series overall. I think that they've definitely been getting around that with the Paul Rudd-ness of it, because he is the great, I love Paul Rudd. No, he's great. He's so charming. He's so damn charming. You want to follow him right off a cliff. It's no problem at all. I'm not mad at him about it. Uh This king... Without spoiling anything, the whole time Jonathan Majors was playing him, like, I would love to not be doing any of this. I would love to not be here. I would be anywhere else if I could be, but y'all are making it really hard because I have to be. And that becomes a really compelling villain because usually there's so much delight Mm -hmm. in what they're doing. Like, I'm going to pull one over on these people. This is so much fun. Or finally, my vengeance. Like, this is my time. It's like a lot of stuff. None of that exists in this version of this character. And that is what I was excited about. But again, if we're not going to follow these things through to their logical conclusion, if you have a Hope who's trying to reconnect with the mother she lost, a uh, Cassie who's trying to connect with the father she lost, but we're not pulling different types of themes and really looking at, like, what does that mean with women at different ages and different stages in their lives? We're talking about different periods of time and for different reasons. Like, Ant-Man loves his daughter. I should love his daughter. And while I like Cassie, I'm not ready to go to the mat for her. I'm not like yes. getting a fist fight in the parking lot for Cassie like I am for Ant-Man. <laughs> That's really an issue. Especially if you're like clearly kind of setting up a young Avengers kind of situation. Like you really need to be making me care about yep. Cassie yep. as a solo person yep. rather than just with her relationship with her dad. Mm-hmm. She never gets really angry at her father. 
Ever. Yeah. Ever. There is never any true conflict. That's true. And I think that there's like, when you say these types of things, the immediate thought is like, oh, they have to be at each other's throats. No, but like, love my father, conflicts with him all the time. Like, we feel differently about the world that we move through. Uh I just don't understand why there's hesitation in doing that. Again, when we've seen it work so well in the past in these movies. And like, just even the little bit of characterization that they did give them was like very confusing to my actual understanding of like the timeline of the MCU and the blip. No, I get it. I get it. Well, look, you've all heard a good healthy range of reactions. You know what we think. Tell us what you think about Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. Find us at facebook.com slash PCHH. Up next, what's making us happy this week? Support for NPR and the following message come from FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming only on Hulu. This message comes from NPR sponsor Hulu with Black Twitter, A People's History from Onyx Collective and Hulu. Directed by Prentice Penny, Black Twitter, A People's History tells the story of how black voices found a new home online and blossomed into a force for change while laying down some hilarious tweets along the way. From the memes to the movements, see how this powerful community shapes culture, society, and politics. Black Twitter, A People's History, premieres May 9th, streaming on Hulu. All right, now it's time for our favorite segment of this week and every week. What is making us happy this week? Joelle, start us off. What's making me happy this week, Glenn, is Craig Mazin. He is the creator of The Last of Us, but he also has the most amazing podcast called Script Notes, which I discovered because I was listening to the podcast for The Last of Us. The podcast is also hosted by John August, who wrote Big Fish. And together, he and Craig have this really beautiful chemistry. They're just really funny and light and uh, also give you a lot of great insight into the WGA and what's happening there if you're keeping track of the current ongoings in that uh, situation. <laughs> so I've been, I've been learning a lot from this podcast. I really enjoy Script Notes. That's great. That's the podcast Script Notes. Uh, Daisy Rosario, what's making you happy this week? I've got a couple. So first, I want to um, shout out one of my all-time favorite genres of things to read, which is advice. I've been working on relaunching the Dear Prudence podcast for Slate. While I'm very proud to be a part of that, I also wanted to kind of shout out some of the Uh advice columns I've gone back to over the years. So one would be Dear Sugar. And I also really appreciate Heather Haverlevsky's Ask Polly, which she does as a substack. And then there is also a book that I love that came out last year that is fantastic and I was reminded of, again, because of advice. So it's a book called Hysterical, and it's by a writer named Alyssa Basist. It's like part memoir, part medical mystery, part like Uh cultural criticism. She is someone who started literally having issues with her physical voice and through a lot of looking for why that was happening and like the health issues around that, you know, came to understand how much of it was also tied to trauma and her own efforts to kind of keep herself quiet over the years. And it's just, it just touches on so many things that I know women deal with in the world and it weaves the science in, in in a great way where you're both reading personality and what this woman has gone through, but you're learning something at the same time. It's just 
a fantastic book. It's called Hysterical. I definitely, definitely recommend Hysterical by Alyssa Bassist. Thank you much, Daisy. That sounds great. Mallory, you, what's making you happy this week? What's making me happy this week is HBO's adaptation of the His Dark Materials trilogy, um, which I recently finished binging. I never read the books because um, I grew up evangelical, and so (laughs) there was a big boycott of that when I was growing up Mm -hmm. because main character Lyra gets pulled into basically a war against God, and her father is out to kill God. It did a good job of pulling someone who was not into this world into this world. Um, The casting is fantastic. Ruth Wilson is just incredible Mm -hmm. as the evil Mrs. Coulter. I really also love James McAvoy in full bad dad mode. Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't even hate his man bun. So highly recommend um, the His Dark Materials adaptation. It's all on HBO and it's done. So you can just binge it and be done with it. It's great. That is great to hear. People talked about the first season, almost heard nothing about the second and third. So that's good to hear that it's out there and it's good. Thank you very much, Mallory. What's making me happy this week is Hall Out. That is an Oscar-nominated documentary short. It is just 25 minutes long, directed by Evgenia Arbogaeva and Maxime Arbogaeva. I think the less you know about this movie going in, the better. So I'll just say, on a remote beach in Chukatka in the Siberian Arctic, which is basically the top of the world. There's a man named Maxim who sits in a lonely, ramshackle little hut, and he's waiting for something to happen. That something is a naturally occurring phenomenon, but we spend some time with him and the general run of his days as he waits for it. And then one morning, he opens his sad, rickety-ass front door, and it's happening. And what is happening is just remarkable. And it's also tinged with sadness because what's happening Climate change plays a very central role in it, but the way the directors frame their shots and then once the event is happening, the way they find in it little stories that are happening and they do that without imposing any kind of fake, tidy, anthropomorphic worldview on it. It's gorgeous for one thing. It's fascinating. It is called Hall Out and it's one of several Oscar-nominated shorts available at newyorker.com slash video. And that is what's making me happy this week. And if you want links for what we recommended, plus some more recommendations, sign up for our newsletter at npr.org slash newsletter. That brings us to the end of our show. Joel Monique, Daisy Rosario, Mallory Yu, thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Glenn. Always fun. Thanks for having me. This episode was produced by Hafsa Fatima and edited by Mike Katzif. Audio engineering was performed by Carly Strange. Our supervising producer is Jessica Reedy. Hello, Come In provides our theme music, which you are shrinking down to the quantum realm with right now. Thanks for listening to Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR. I'm Glenn Weldon, and we'll see you all next week. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Viore, a new perspective on performance apparel. Clothing designed with premium fabrics, built to move in, styled for life. For 20% off your first purchase, go to viore.com NPR. Support for NPR and the following message come from Rosetta Stone, the perfect app to achieve your language learning goals no matter how busy your schedule gets. It's designed to maximize study time with immersive 10-minute lessons and audio practice for your commute. Plus, tailor your learning plan for specific objectives like travel. Get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off and unlimited access to 25 language courses. Learn more at rosettastone.com NPR. In this country, some truths aren't self-evident. 
in NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, a collection of stories as wide-ranging and real as the people who tell them. We celebrate the Black experience for all its soul and richness. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get podcasts.